Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto five years ago and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full time. Unchained and Unconfirmed are now published as videos. If you're not yet subscribed to the Unchained YouTube channel, head to youtube.com slash C slash Unchained Podcast and subscribe today. Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn, and spend crypto. Earn up to 8.5% per year on your Bitcoin. Download the Crypto.com app now. Today's guest is Matt Hogan, Chief Investment Officer at Bitwise Asset Management. Welcome, Matt. Glad to be here, Laura. Thanks for having me. This week, Bitwise had big news. A company announced that it had passed the $100 million in assets under management mark. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks so much. We're very excited. What do you think has been driving the interest in Bitwise products? That's a great question. I think, as you know, Laura, what Bitwise focuses on is the financial advisor marketplace. And that marketplace is really maturing in the crypto space. So a few years ago, uh, they were just kicking the tires of crypto. Now, and I think what this news that represents hitting $100 million is that you're starting to see meaningful allocations from financial advisors for their clients into the crypto market. And that's important because they control a lot of wealth in America, about $15 trillion. So it's a, it's a meaningful piece of news. And so when you say that you're seeing kind of a change in who's interested, so who exactly is driving this new demand for crypto asset-based financial products? Yeah, for us, we're seeing two big drivers. So the first is financial advisors. These are individuals who control the wealth of wealthy Americans. And I think what's bubbling up is that population is demanding that they get exposure to crypto in the market. There are a couple of reasons, happy to dig into those. And the other is hedge funds. There is really a, a, a major rise in demand uh, for crypto from the hedge fund community. And I think we're seeing that at Bitwise and other asset managers are seeing that as well. And so, yeah, do you want to dive a little into why you're seeing the interest from the financial advisors? For sure. I, I think there are probably uh, two or three big drivers. So the first big driver, the, the sort of underlying push in this market that's been happening all year is rising concerns about the potential for inflation and people looking for efficient hedge. People have watched how governments, not just in the U.S., but around the world have responded to the pandemic and the ensuing uh, economic uh, worsening with massive QE, massive fiscal stimulus, uh, and people want to hedge. And Bitcoin, crypto more broadly, is the most efficient hedge for that space. Uh, but the other piece of news that's driving it is just you're just seeing a massive maturation of the crypto market. It's now acceptable for institutional and professional investors to allocate. And that's being driven by improvements in custody, improvements in trading, big improvements in regulation, uh, and then some proof of concept development, like what we saw on the DeFi market. So it's just the perfect market for people to allocate. Uh, you have these couple of big catalysts. And I think we're at the early innings of this happening. I think it's it's going to snowball from here. 
And when you mentioned the maturation of the crypto market, how would you say that that has um, changed the customer base of your product since your launch in 2017? It's been it's been huge. So the customer base when we launched in 2017 was primarily uh, high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals who were looking for an easy way to get exposure to all the or at least the majority of the crypto asset market cap. That's what we offer. Right. We're best known for having the first index fund in the space. It's a way to get push button exposure to crypto as an asset class. That's really shifted. So those people are still allocating in Bitwise, but the driver of the inflows that led to the $100 million mark is hedge funds and financial advisors. And they couldn't, particularly financial advisors, couldn't really have allocated two years ago. Two years ago, there were no uh, regulated insured custodians in the market. Now there are a dozen. Bitwise uses Coinbase custody and fidelity. Two years ago, trading was uneven in the market. Uh, now Bitcoin and other crypto assets trade at pennywise spreads. Two years ago, there were massive regulatory risks in the market. There was whether Ethereum would be dubbed a security. There was still a lot of nefarious activity in the crypto asset market. That's been swept away. I, I, I sort of knew we were in this new market. We were in a powerful bull market, not just an incidental bull market, but a powerful bull market. When the BitMEX news came out and no one blinked, the market maybe waffled like a percent or so. If you had had that happen two years ago, if, if, you know, they had, they had put one of the BitMEX executives in jail. They had uh, fundamentally harmed maybe one of the largest at the time derivative markets in the crypto space. The market would have collapsed. This time, it barely went down. When bad news doesn't impact you, you know you're in a deep bull market. And I think that's just indicative of the space. We've matured. We've put that sort of old crypto legacy behind us. And we're moving into a mature, regulated, and institutional future. And that's going to be meaningful in terms of asset flows. And so when you talk with your investors, do they ask different types of questions or is it simply that you have, you know, different facts and figures you can offer them? Like how have the conversations changed since that 2017 bubble era? Yeah, I think 2017, you had very simple questions. What is crypto? Uh, doesn't it always get stolen? Doesn't it always get hacked? Now we can answer many of those questions really easily. Right. We can talk about fidelity and Coinbase and insured regulated custody and sweep that aside. Now people are really asking questions about how does it fit in a portfolio? Does it increase the portfolio's volatility? What should I think about particular developments? I got a question from a financial advisor today about what the impact of JP Morgan coin will be on different crypto assets within the Bitwise 10. That's a very sophisticated question. It's a good question. It has very different impacts on Bitcoin versus Ethereum versus XRP, uh, but that's a very sophisticated question. What we were getting two years ago was, you know, what is crypto? What is this fake internet money? No one understood what blockchains were. People were excited about blockchain stocks. Do you remember that? People were all <laughs> excited about investing in blockchain equities and not crypto assets. There was the whole blockchain, not Bitcoin. That's been swept aside. People understand uh, that this market is not going away. They understand the importance of public blockchains powered by crypto assets, and we're getting much more sophisticated questions now. 
And I'd love for you to expound on that J.P. Morgan note. And just for listeners who may not know what Matt was referring to, J.P. Morgan came up with a global market strategy report that said that Bitcoin could compete with gold. And uh, one of the choice quotes was, a crowding out of gold as an alternative currency implies big upside for Bitcoin over the long term. Mechanically, the market cap of Bitcoin would have to rise 10 times from here to match the total private sector investment to gold via ETFs or bars or coins. So can you just tell us, you know, aside from that one question, what impact do you think this research note could have? It's massive in terms of its indication of where we're going. Uh, And it's not the first. So just a few months ago, Bloomberg's senior commodity strategist came out and said Bitcoin could trade to $100,000. And now you have JP Morgan saying uh, it could easily two or three X if millennials crowd out gold and it could 10 X if it replaced and mixed it. These were price targets that people uh, were, were expounding on crypto maybe in 2017 and getting laughed out of the room by traditional Wall Street. Uh, now it's traditional Wall Street that had recognizing the potential size of this market. If even a fraction of the investors that allocate uh, based on, on, on reports like JP Morgan and the reports we're going to see from every other major bank in the next six to 12 months saying the same thing, if even a fraction of that money comes into the market, uh, the potential impact is huge. One really important thing that the crypto industry needs to understand, and I come from the traditional finance industry, is crypto is built on retail money. Uh, and retail investors, as wonderful as they are, control a very small fraction of the overall wealth in America. It's controlled by institutions and also by financial advisors and hedge funds, 80, 90% of the wealth. So even if we get modest pickup, uh, it could be significant. One more thing about the JP Morgan report. It's worth noting, and maybe this is a nuance, that they, they wrote this in one of their flagship publications. This wasn't some you know, junior analyst uh, who had just cottoned on to Bitcoin writing their first research report where they figured in a few sentences about Bitcoin and crypto. This was their flagship publication uh, talking about this as a potential uh, important new asset class. I think it's, it's hugely meaningful uh, in isolation and as an indication of what we're going to see over the next year. Uh, it's a very telling development. Yeah. And earlier this summer, we did see uh, the letter from the OCC that that said that banks could custody uh, digital assets. And you wrote a Forbes piece saying that that was a huge deal. And in general, I feel like we're just noticing so much news about banks and crypto. And on top of that, other um, well-known established financial institutions like PayPal and Venmo will mm-hmm. soon be offering Bitcoin, Ether, and some other crypt- cryptocurrencies. But about that, I wanted to ask you, so initially PayPal users will be limited to just buying um, Bitcoin and, and these other cryptos and then uh, being able to use those for purchases. But the merchants themselves will actually just receive dollars. So I wondered, do you think the offering of crypto on PayPal will be kind of like a novelty feature that few people will use similar to how, and I know this is (laughs) going far back, but to how in kind of 2014, 2015, you know, Microsoft and Dell began accepting Bitcoin as payment, but there wasn't like a lot of uptake of it. Um, Or, you know, do you think this time around it's different and we'll see these actually used on these platforms? I think that's a great question. I think there are two big impacts of the of the PayPal news and maybe three, actually three. So the first one, which doesn't get to whether they'll be used at retail and investment uh, chains, is just investment, right? PayPal has 200 million US users who will now be able to buy Bitcoin with the push of a button in an app that they're familiar with. They won't have to 
decide between a Coinbase or Kraken account. They won't have to open a new account. They already have it. They have money there. They can allocate that. That could double the number of investors in, in crypto assets overnight before they try to spend a penny of it at a retail location. I do think there is uh, the retail step should be seen as a minor incremental step. I don't think it's that we're going to wake up in January 2021 and everyone's going to be buying you know, their coffee with Bitcoin. There's still huge negative tax implications. You're absolutely right that the merchants will be receiving cash. I think what we'll see, though, is there'll be some niche retailing uh, establishments that favor or, or push for people to pay in crypto assets. Uh, and the other thing you'll see is you have to think of this as an incremental step. It's actually a huge incremental step. Uh, but do you think two years from now, maybe one year from now, certainly three years from now, do you think that will still be true at PayPal, that they won't allow payments to retailers in crypto? I think the fact that they're crossing this chasm uh, in, in, a, in a big, giant leap means that's inevitable. Inevitably, retailers will be able to get paid directly in crypto uh, from PayPal. People who expect them to go from zero to 100 uh, in one step are expecting too much. They made a huge jump. They went from zero to 50. They could have just done some tiny little thing. They didn't. They did a big thing. But no, I don't think uh, there'll be a massive explosion in retail use next year. There's still a lot of issues to be worked out, but we're making progress. Uh, the third impact is PayPal has cleared the way for every major institution uh, to enter enter the market. So I think we saw the PayPal news and people people don't realize how big PayPal. PayPal is much bigger than Morgan Stanley. It's much bigger than Goldman Sachs. It's, it's bigger than Bank of America from a market cap perspective. It's a huge institution. You're going to see every other major institution follow suit. They now have to. Uh, it's, it's sort of uh, uh, it's, it's table sticks. In a moment, we'll discuss other big corporate moves in crypto. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn, and spend crypto all in one place. Earn up to 8.5% per year on your BTC. Download the Crypto.com app now to see the interest rates you could be earning on BTC and more than 20 other coins. Once in the app, you can apply for the Crypto.com metal card, which pays you up to 8% cash back instantly. Reserve yours now in the Crypto.com app. Back to my conversation with Matt Hogan. So as you mentioned earlier, we've also seen interest by corporate treasuries with the purchase of Bitcoin by MicroStrategy and Square. And I wondered what ripple effects you thought that their pioneering of this area would have. And, you know, have you seen it already come up in conversations with your investors? And we actually have. Yeah. Shortly after the MicroStrategy news, we have a, a number of advisors who advise corporate clients on their treasury holdings uh, and who have been bullish on crypto. And we're going to use that as a way to reopen the conversation about whether crypto is appropriate. Now, I don't think most corporations are going to start allocating to the space tomorrow. Uh, and I think we, we will all agree that MicroStrategy's reasons were idiosyncratic. Square's reasons were idiosyncratic. But that's always how the earliest phase of innovation uh, and innovative adopters occur. It's always idiosyncratic reasons. But it does pave the way for a broader audience. So you know, a year ago, there were no publicly traded corporations with Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Now there are a couple. Uh, and, and in a few more years or, or in a few more months, I, I suspect we'll see more. So I do think it's important, but it's not like uh, the floodgates are going to open. I don't think Apple's going to buy uh, $100 million of Bitcoin tomorrow, maybe eventually, but, but it'll take a while. But it, it's, it's big news. And why did you say that MicroStrategies and Square's reasons for purchasing Bitcoin were idiosyncratic? 
Well, uh, MicroStrategy is a unique company, right? It, it, it has a, a strong CEO who has super majority voting shares. He's a deep believer in Bitcoin, has been for a while. They had huge cash balances and they're a, a not cash intensive business. Uh, so they needed to do something with those cash balances. And they had the ability to make that allocation because Sailor uh, is such a strong CEO there. Uh, uh, Square obviously has had a, a longstanding relationship with Bitcoin, sees it as uh, the internet currency. So it's not it's not the same as, you know, IBM uh, or Apple or Microsoft making the allocation. Um, but it but it, it does pave the way for that in the future. And we've seen that again and again in the crypto market, that it takes brave institutions to pave the way for others. So another example uh, is Fidelity. Fidelity was really one of the first major U.S. financial institutions to put a stake in the ground and say crypto is real. And we're going to have to offer custody for institutional clients. They were able to do it first because Abby Johnson was a deep believer and it's a family owned business. And that paved the way for eventually publicly traded companies that aren't family owned businesses to follow suit. So it's often these, these pioneers who have idiosyncratic reasons that open the doors and then you will see people follow on. So you've alluded to this kind of throughout this conversation, but the backdrop to all this activity is that the Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell has said that the Fed will now target um, a 2% average inflation rate. And so we've kind of talked, or talked a little bit here and there, uh, sprinkled throughout the conversation how this is affecting maybe individual decisions. But can you just talk more broadly about how you expect this will affect crypto and the industry in general? It's going to lead to, to massive inflows into inflation protecting assets. Uh, and that will include things like gold, but it will also include things like crypto. Look, no one is going to say for certain that we're going to see significant runaway inflation, right? Druckenmiller came out the other day uh, and said we could see five or 10% inflation in the next few years. But what is certain if you're a, a financial analyst is that the tail risk of higher inflation is higher today than it was Two years ago, there is a higher probability we'll face inflationary pressures and inflationary risks in the future than there was two years ago. And even if that doesn't occur, because it's a higher probability as a portfolio manager or, or a fiduciary, you need to think about hedging that risk. Uh, the beautiful thing about crypto, the beautiful thing about Bitcoin is it's a very efficient hedge against inflation risk. We were talking to an endowment the other day. They were very worried about inflation. And they said, look, it's really hard with gold because even if I'm the most bullish gold person in the world, I might think gold will go from $2,000 to $3,000 an ounce, up 50%. That would be an amazing result. I have to allocate so much of my portfolio to gold to actually provide an efficient hedge for the 100% of my portfolio that it's impossible. I can't allocate 20% to this inflation hedge. The beautiful thing about Bitcoin or crypto is because the, the upside is so much more significant. Uh, because it, it could, you know, 10x, as JP Morgan said, or it could go to $100,000, as Bloomberg said, that you can make a relatively small allocation, a couple percent, and you can hedge that inflation risk in a meaningful way. So I think you're going to see massive inflows into inflation hedging assets across the board. I think some significant portion of those inflows will go into Bitcoin and other crypto assets. And I think that will be a, a really big macro story in 2021 that drives a lot of allocations. Yeah, yeah. I do feel like somehow the coronavirus sort of accelerated 
um, trends that were already in place, but now with all this quantitative easing and the, um, you know, what we just mentioned about the, the target interest rate, it sort of feels like what's going to happen is a supercharging of things that were already, um, on their way. Uh, one other thing. So you did mention the BitMEX action, uh, by the SC, well, so by the CFTC and, um, DOJ. And I wondered previously, Bitwise attempted to get pr- approval for a Bitcoin ETF. And so given those types of regulatory actions, what do you think the odds are for a Bitcoin ETF in the next few years? Oh, I think in the next few years, the odds are extraordinarily good. Uh, this is really becoming an institutional marketplace, right? The CME is now often the largest single market in the world in Bitcoin. Uh, yesterday, I think it traded over a billion dollars. That's a fully regulated market. Uh, and, and the BitMEX news is another example that we're shedding the sort of legacy past that kept this market from uh, being of robust enough quality to, to justify an ETF. So the next few years, I think the chances are, are, are extremely high. Uh, I do think we're still a little ways away from it. Bitwise continues to work on it. Um, uh, and, and, and I think you could see news next year or the year that follows. Um, so there's still work to be done, but in terms of will we get there, we'll absolutely get there. And the BitMEX news is a, is a, is a great example. I really think something remarkable is happening on the regulatory front, which is that the crypto industry is taking two regulatory tracks. Uh, on the one hand, regulators are shutting down bad actors. Uh, and we've seen enforcement actions since 2018 that have repeatedly, uh, crushed actors that are trying to skirt the surface. And on the other hand, you have the thing like the OCC letter where they're creating this amazing, uh, open, positive, supportive playing space for this crypto industry to flourish. Uh, you couldn't design a better regulatory outcome than what we've seen uh, over the last few years in terms of where crypto is going. So we're going to come back to this regulatory thing in one moment, but I just have one quick question on an unrelated topic. I have to ask right now, the um, new emerging area of crypto is DeFi. It's truly the wild west. There have just been countless hacks, including two, I guess you would call them exploits this week, one in Harvest and the other involving MakerDAO. And yet I've seen you write uh, positively about DeFi. Um, but I was just curious, you know, Bitwise interfaces with more traditional investors. So I wondered how you thought a firm like yours could capitalize on the trend in DeFi. Oh, that's great. Uh, I'll start with my general thoughts on DeFi, which is that I have a love-hate relationship with it. Everything you said is true. I think as a proof of concept, it's absolutely amazing uh, what you're seeing in automated market making, what you're seeing in automated lending, what you're seeing in the stablecoin growth. I think it's proof of concept. It's amazing. But it's still, as you said, the wild, wild west. Uh, I think we'll see significant blowups uh, in the automated market making space in the next year. I think we'll see continued hacks. A lot of these are, are sort of thrown into the market and become billion dollar uh, projects uh, overnight and without the due diligence and scale. So it's it's great proof of concept. It's showing what the future is going to look like. And it's going to be a very rocky road uh, between, between now and the future. Uh, in terms of Bitwise, I mean, we take a two-track approach. That's the message we give to investors, uh, that this is a very interesting, potentially extremely large market, and that it's really early. And what you're seeing is proof of concept. And you have to expect significant issues uh, in the next year as that market matures. Uh, and then in terms of uh, sort of product development, it's something we keep an eye on. People have certainly talked a lot about tokenization of ETFs and things like that. Uh, certainly a lot of conversations around that recently. Jay Clayton said that was something they would look at. Uh, again, I think it's very, very early 
Um, I think the majority of asset flows into the crypto space, uh, whether the crypto industry likes it or not, is going to come through traditional uh, regulated products that fit into the traditional architecture, uh, at least for the next few years. All right. So back to regulators. Um, next week is the presidential election. And I was curious to know how you thought a Trump versus a Biden win would affect the industry. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Uh, I think in either case, if you have the, the president uh, and Congress of the same party, I think inflationary risks increase because there's going to be a pressure for significant stimulus and the ability to get it done versus the gridlock that we've seen recently. So if you have an alignment of both parties in the White House and in Congress, I think the pressures we talked about in terms of forcing people to find inflation protecting securities is going to go up significantly. Uh, you know, beyond that, in terms of the impact, uh, I, I think we're in a safe space either way. I think three or four years ago, a change in political party, a change in regulatory tenor uh, could have had a real impact on crypto. It could have potentially uh, delayed the industry multiple years, right? They could have cracked down on crypto banking or banking to crypto related companies. They could have uh, push to, to regulate them more heavily. We're past that. We're past that. We've, we've created such a regulatory safe space. We've made so much regulatory progress in the past two years. And the, the, the fundamental growth of the crypto industry has been so significant, uh, that it's at escape velocity. So, uh, beyond the potential impact on inflation, I don't worry about the market being, uh, being, being slowed or being advanced. I think every major financial institution now realizes that this market is not going away. I think they, every major financial institution realizes that the future of how money moves on the internet is over crypto and blockchain. Uh, and I think that that ship has sailed regardless of who's in the White House or, or who's in Congress. That's a great perspective and it makes a lot of sense. This has been such a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for coming on Unconfirmed. Thank you for having me, Laura. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. First headline, JP Morgan is finally bullish for Bitcoin. After years of skepticism, JP Morgan is now projecting Bitcoin's price could see, quote, a doubling or tripling, assuming current trends hold. A research note published by the bank says the cryptocurrency is a valid alternative to gold among millennials, while still cautioning that Bitcoin is overbought in the near term. In addition to demographic trends, the company cites positive developments for Bitcoin, such as the recent announcement by PayPal to offer Bitcoin to customers, as well as the fact that companies such as Square have added the asset to their balance sheets. JP Morgan also had other crypto-related news this week. The blog reports that the bank has been in talks with crypto-native firms as it explores how it can offer cryptocurrency custody. The plan would likely be for JP Morgan to enlist sub-custodians to provide services, and it has reportedly reached out to Fidelity Digital Assets and Paxos, among others. Amidst all of this JP Morgan blockchain news, the firm's digital currency, JPM Coin, is being used commercially for the first time this week to send payments worldwide. The company's also rebranded its banking network to the name Link, that's with two I's, and invited its 500-plus financial institutions to start building on the platform. The head of the Link product, Christine Moy, called it, quote, the foundation of an enterprise mainnet. All these blockchain and digital, digital currency efforts have now been housed under a new business entity dubbed Onyx, which currently has more than 100 staffers. Next headline. Was Binance U.S. set up as a decoy for U.S. regulators? Michael Del Castillo at Forbes, 
who I wish I had had the opportunity to work with, though he arrived there after I had left, did a thorough look into Binance's approach to U.S. regulation, and in particular, its reason for establishing the regulatorily compliant Binance.us. Michael obtained a 2018 document that detailed Binance's plans for the launch of the entity that would eventually become Binance US, but was at the time called, quote, the Tai Chi entity, which, Michael writes, is, quote, an allusion to the Chinese martial art whose approach is built around the principle of yield and overcome, or using an opponent's own weight against him. Michael says, quote, while the then unnamed entity set up operations in the United States to distract regulators with feigned interest in compliance, measures would be put in place to move revenue in the form of licensing fees and more to the parent company Binance. Some of the more startling revelations from the document are a bold bullet point that says, quote, key Binance personnel continue to operate from a non-U.S. location to avoid enforcement risks. The document then also says, quote, license and service fees paid by the U.S. service company to Binance are functionally U.S. sourced trading fees. Then Michael writes, but unlike an, an actual subsidiary whose parent company could be held accountable for regulatory violations, the Tai Chi entity would have little more than a contractual relationship. Further, quote, insulating Binance from U.S. enforcement, according to the document. Michael writes, Essentially, it would be a decoy. This article is perhaps the most thorough look into how Binance is playing regulatory arbitrage, in particular with U.S. regulators. It's definitely worth a read and certainly offers arguments to people who believe Binance is playing fast and loose when it comes to U.S. regulations, as well as those who believe U.S. regulations regarding crypto are too stringent. Next headline. Crypto-friendly bank Silvergate reports strong earnings. After the OCC's letter this summer giving banks the authority to custody crypto assets, there's been a lot of positive crypto news from banks, including those who have long been involved in the industry. For instance, Silvergate Bank, which has long been friendly to crypto companies, revealed a strong third quarter with much success related to digital currency activity. CEO Alan Lane remains bullish on the bank's payment platform, the Silvergate Exchange Network, after seeing $36 billion in transfers during the last quarter, which surpassed the amount transferred in all of 2019. The number of digital asset customers has also risen by 23% to over 900. Lane also says the entry of JP Morgan, which banks Silvergate customer Gemini, into the arena has not resulted in any loss of business. Next headline. Avanti granted bank charter. A Wyoming state regulator has voted unanimously to grant Avanti Bank and Trust a bank charter, which gives the firm the same powers as national banks in its approved business lines. Avanti is authorized to offer several products and services, most notably a tokenized U.S. dollar called Avit. Calling this token a stablecoin disruptor, Avanti says it is designed to solve problems in legacy payment systems that have long plagued traders, investors, and corporate treasurers. Quote, Avanti's mission is to provide a compliant bridge between the traditional and digital asset financial systems with the strictest level of institutional custody standards, said Caitlin Long, Avanti's founder and chief executive officer. Next headline. On-chain metrics point to Bitcoin breakout. The Bitcoin price has been growing steadily since the March crypto crash, and according to Coinmetrics, the data suggests BTC could be preparing for its most significant breakout yet. Bitcoin's correlation with gold has been at near all-time highs since March, while its correlation with the dollar has been at all-time lows, 
further supporting the thesis that Bitcoin serves as a digital version of gold. In addition to these correlations, on-chain holding is increasing. As of October 25th, close to 65% of all BTC has been held for at least a year, which is near all-time highs. As holders increase, velocity is at all-time lows, furthering Bitcoin's trend towards a store of value rather than a medium of exchange. Bitcoin is also being moved off centralized exchanges in increasing numbers, suggesting more Bitcoin owners want full control of their keys. As the number of holders continues to grow, the Bitcoin supply inflation decreases with each halving, continuing to drive the price upward. Next headline. $38 million drained from harvest finance during attack. An arbitrage trade exploited weak points in the Harvest Finance DeFi protocol on Monday, allowing an attacker to make off with $33.8 million. The exploit sent Harvest's native farm token tumbling 65% in less than an hour, and the total value locked in the protocol plummeted as well. The attacker returned $2.5 million for unknown reasons soon after the attack. Using a flash loan, the attacker was able to take on massive leverage with zero downside in order to manipulate the USDC-USDT ratios in the Y pool of curve, which allowed the attacker to generate a profit. Promising to implement UX changes to prevent such incidents in the future, Harvest claimed to know the attacker's identity, saying they are, quote, well-known in the crypto community. Harvest then provided the Bitcoin address of the attacker containing what they called, quote, a significant amount of personally identifiable information. And Harvest also put up a $100,000 bounty for the first person or team to get the attacker to return the funds to the deployer address. Although the attack is devastating, people have stopped short of calling it a hack. A Twitter thread by crypto lawyer Gabriel Shapiro makes a case as to why this should be viewed at most as, quote, a manipulative device scheme or artifice to defraud, or even as, quote, commodities spot market manipulation. The harvest incident is not the only recent attack that can't be viewed as a traditional hack. On Monday, someone used a flash loan of MKR to pass a governance vote on MakerDAO, prompting the stablecoin project to issue a warning. The event also highlighted the impact that flash loans can have on DeFi, in this case, being utilized by an outside party that wanted its proposal passed. In related news, OpenZeppelin has launched OpenZeppelin Defender, a platform for building on Ethereum with security best practices built in. Hopefully, with more products like this, we will see fewer and fewer of these DeFi exploits. Next headline, Coinbase launching crypto debit card. Coinbase plans to launch a Visa debit card in the U.S. next year that will offer 1% back in Bitcoin or 4% back in Stellar. Disclosure, Stellar has been a sponsor of my podcasts. The company, which plans to start distributing the cards in the first half of next year, and has opened a waitlist for U.S. customers, sees the card's launch as a significant milestone to crypto's mainstream adoption. Time for fun bits! A week's crypto news in 46 seconds. Girl Gone Crypto, which I admittedly discovered just before recording this, published a hilarious vlog of A Week in Crypto, which begins... 13K, that's it. That's the video. And touches on the PayPal news pokes fun at CBDCs, Filecoin, and Ethereum 2.0, and also drinks to MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor. Definitely worth watching 
especially for shots of her vacation in what looks like Southern California. Next fun bits. Happy 12th birthday, Bitcoin white paper. If you're looking for fun, pandemic-friendly ideas to celebrate the 12th birthday of the Bitcoin white paper being published, I already solicited some for you from my Twitter followers. My favorite one says, quote, I'm going to have a Bitcoin cocktail. Something with orange, no melting ice cubes, and limited supply. And my not safe for work, but since we're all working from home anyway, runner-up favorite to the question, what are you doing to celebrate the 12th anniversary of the publication of the Bitcoin white paper, was this tweet by CryptoRand. Coke. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Matt, Bitwise, and other topics we discussed, be sure to check the links in the show notes. Don't forget, we are now on YouTube. Subscribe to the Unchained Podcast YouTube channel today. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Bossy Baker, Shashank, and the team at Sale K Transcription. Thanks for listening.